Good morning. Our first scripture reading comes from the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament, chapter 62, verses 1 through 5. Listen for God's word. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For, and for Jerusalem, for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest. Until her vindication shines out like the dawn and her salvation like a burning torch. The nations shall see your vindication and all the kings your glory. And you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken and your land shall be, shall no more be termed desolate. But you shall be called, my delight is in her and your land married. For the Lord delights in you and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so, so, so shall your builder marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. The word of God. Thanks be to God. Our second text this morning comes from John's Gospel, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what concern is that to you and me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. He said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. When the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed him. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Holy God, thank you for your words from Isaiah and from John. I pray that you would open our ears and our eyes and our hearts to the message you have for us today. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. 
Hundreds of people have gotten married here at Fort Street, standing right here, looking at another person and making promises, surrounded by loved ones, family and friends sitting in the very pews where you are sitting right now. Hundreds of people have been baptized here at Fort Street, feeling the waters trickle down their foreheads. Hundreds of funerals have happened here as well. There is something really humbling about remembering that we are in a space that holds such sacred and important moments. Some of people's best days have happened in this space. Some of people's hardest days have happened in this space. Maybe even some of your best and hardest days have happened here. The presence of God has been experienced in this place. Right here, over there, up there, and exactly where you are sitting right now. Funerals, baptisms, communion, weddings. Our two texts today from Isaiah and John both speak of God being revealed in a unique way through weddings. There's wedding imagery, in fact, all over the Bible. And it's not because God lifts up marriage as the best possible kind of relationship. Marriage is absolutely not a prerequisite for Christian discipleship. In fact, Paul says it is better to be unmarried that it can just get in the way if you are married. It might be holier to live a single life. But the Bible draws all these examples from weddings and uses this imagery because they offer some kind of symbolic glimpse of a greater truth about God and God's kingdom. That Isaiah passage speaks of a symbolic wedding. Isaiah the prophet is speaking to a group of people who have just returned from exile in Babylon and who are still feeling the weight of rejection and fear and homelessness. God says through Isaiah that God rejoices over them like a newlywed looking at their new lover. God says that the union with this people and with God will be for the signs of all the nations, that a new fresh start is coming that is full of hope and it is like a wonderful wedding celebration. In that second text we read, Jesus is at a wedding with his disciples and his family and it is the first miracle, the first sign of Jesus and the wine had run out and so at the prodding of his mother, Jesus tells the servants to fill the jars up with water and then suddenly wine comes out of them and not just any wine but good wine and the celebration continues. It's after this act, John points out, that the glory of Jesus is finally revealed and that the disciples believe Jesus. So what is it about weddings? What makes them such a powerful image with the potential to have a vision of God and God's glory through them? 
I'd like us to think about it personally for a moment, and I'm going to ask you, and I actually want a response, so think about the best wedding you have ever been to. Maybe it was your own, maybe it was a friend or family member's, but think for a moment about the best wedding that you ever went to. And what I'd love to know, just from a few of you in a few words, is what do you think made it so great? What made that wedding so wonderful? Is anybody willing to share? Yeah. Friend of, friends of the family? Yeah. Absolutely. And when it kind of feels like a reunion, right? When there's people that you know on a broad level that all get together. Yeah. Loretta, did you have one? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And Loretta has seen one or two weddings in her day, right? She, if you don't know, is our amazing coordinator of wedding ministries here at Fort Street. So she has witnessed, I don't even want to guess how many, how many weddings, but if you couldn't hear her, she said, what makes a wedding so great is when you see the connection, and it's a real connection between the two getting married and the family involvement and just that feeling of, of support. That's so great. Any others, what has made a wedding really, really wonderful in your experience? Anyone else? We don't usually do this. This is not a Presbyterian thing. If you're visiting, I'm sorry, I don't usually call you out, but. 42 years? Yeah, preach. I have a few weddings in my uh, experience that I always think of that have been so great and so fun. And it often comes down to that feeling of community, that feeling of reunion with people together and a true celebration and people's presence. It comes down to the people that I'm with. Good food and wine and a great DJ and dancing never hurt, but really it's about the community. So Garrett and I got married in Colorado, and in Colorado, you can self-authenticate your marriage. This is true in a few different states, but what that means is you don't have to get married in a church in front of a congregation. You don't have to get married even in front of a group in a courthouse. In fact, you do not have to have a single witness. In the state of Colorado, the marriage license has a couple of witness lines on the license if they would like to sign it, but it's not required. If you and your partner get the correct paperwork and you both sign it and you send it off to the county clerk in all the right ways, it's official. So Garrett and I did do a ceremony. We celebrated with friends and family, but when we went to pick up our license, the woman that was helping us was sharing all kinds of funny stories about people who self-authenticate their marriages. She had a photocopy of a marriage license behind her at her desk, and it was from a couple who had their pet lizard serve as a witness for the wedding. 
you know, it wasn't required, so they could have a little fun with it. So they literally put the lizard's tail in ink and put that as a stamp on the witness line of their license. It's a little funny, but Garrett and I were talking about how it's actually sort of a sad thing to be able to self-authenticate your marriage. I think there's something that we miss when we don't invite others to participate in it, even if it's just one or two people, even if it's a small group. Having people gathered for a wedding reminds us that we're never meant to do life alone. That it takes a village, not just to raise a child, but to live in life and in relationship with each other. We need support. We need support in all kinds of relationships, not just marriage, but work relationships and friendships and with our family members. We are much more connected. We are meant to be much more connected than our individualistic culture would have us believe. And weddings bring that to our attention. The most significant weddings are ones where people are gathered and it feels communal. That first miracle that Jesus performed was an experience of God's glory, not because there was wine involved, not even because marriage was the end point, but because it was an image of covenant relationship. God was revealed because the people were gathered together. In the Presbyterian Church, we recognize two sacraments, baptism and communion. And more than a lot of other traditions of Christians' faith, we as Presbyterians believe so mightily in the gathered nature of those sacraments that we say it is just as important as the symbols themselves. The water of baptism is as important, is important, but even more important is the group that is gathered as we sprinkle that water on someone's head. Even more important are the words and the vows that we share when someone is baptized as we promise to surround them with Christian love. The bread and the juice when we share in communion are important, yes, but just as important is the community that gathers around the table, that passes the plate to one another to share in that union. We believe so much in the community that in the Presbyterian Church, we have a hard time if someone says they want to be baptized off alone or have communion without the invitation of the whole group. It's the bringing together of people that is the point. Together, we can see God working in ways that we never could have alone. Many of you know that Ed Kingen's longtime chorale and Fort Street music director died this past week. And he had long retired when Garrett and I came here, but we have heard so many wonderful stories about him. And it has been wonderful to see so many of the tributes online since his passing. I watched this past week again the short PBS documentary called Miracle on Fort Street about the Messiah program that Ed began here at Fort Street in 1971. And if you haven't seen this documentary, I encourage you to do so. It's on YouTube. It's only about 30 minutes long, but it tells the story of this Messiah concert. And it 
this documentary is from the mid-80s, and in it you can see Ed directing and you can see choir members talking about what their experience is like singing in the Messiah. And there are a couple lines in there that were so beautifully related to our understanding of communion with God. Ed was speaking about what happens when these singers get together, and one of the things you have to know is that his vision is that this would be a choir that people could join without audition. This chorale group would invite people from all kinds of backgrounds, people that were trained singers, people that had never sung in a choir before, people from all walks of life and places in Detroit, and that together they would do this very ambitious work and do it amazingly well. So it's called A Miracle, and Ed said the miracle is actually the sharing the body exceeding what they thought they could do because they're doing it together. God's glory shows up when we are in community, when we bring our shaky individual voices together. Not just the kind of community where you know each other's names and you sort of wave, but the kind of community where we covenant and feast, and sing, and protest, and dance, and cry, and create together. The world is becoming more and more self-authenticating and individualistic, and the pandemic has just made that grow even more. You can order groceries and have them delivered to your door. You can log in and work from your couch. You can tune in to church from home. You can do everything alone. Much of that, of course, has been really helpful and necessary in getting us to a place where we need to be safe. But I worry that we're going to fall more and more and more into that world. We're called to love others and to work with them to make the world a better place. Somehow when we do, scripture says, when two or three are gathered, God is there. In covenant community, the vision we get of God becomes a sign of justice for the entire world. It isn't just about us loving each other for the sake of that love. It's about what's communicated as we do. The Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. preached a sermon in 1957 where he spoke of this. Communal love is not a sentimental something that we talk about, he said. It's not merely an emotional something. That kind of love is creative, understanding goodwill for all. In communal love, we refuse to defeat any individual. When you rise to the level of love, of its great beauty and power, you seek only to defeat evil systems. Individuals who happen to be caught up in that system you love, but you seek to defeat the system. When you rise to love on the level that God intended, you begin to love people, not because they're likable, but because God loves them. God invites us to love one another in true communion, not because they're likable, 
but because God already loves them. When we do, when we enter into that kind of community, we have the power to stand up to and defeat corrupt systems like white supremacy and anti-Semitism and economic injustice. I wonder how you are fighting back against the tidal wave of individualism that the world is trying to drench us in. In a world where you can self-authenticate or have your lizard sign your marriage license, I wonder where you might make yourself vulnerable and go to the wedding anyway. Ed Kingens was part of and helped facilitate that kind of community. He had a much bigger vision of hospitality than I think many of us in the church often have. Ed invited in people that weren't Fort Street members and weren't even Christians necessarily to participate in something that was so much bigger than themselves. I'm so proud of our wedding ministry program here and Loretta Stanton's leadership in that because it offers that same hospitable welcome to people. So many beautiful churches like ours close their doors and say, you have to be a member if you would like to be married here. But we understand that something amazingly sacred happens here and we want to invite as many people into that as want to come. We're opening the door for people to connect with something greater than themselves, greater than who we think we are, because God is so much greater. Friends, we are invited to a wedding feast of the hospitable God. I wonder if we are ready to come and if we're ready to share that invitation with those around us. Would you pray with me? Holy God, you invite all of us into communal feast and celebration. Open our eyes to those around us who are still waiting for that invitation and help us to bring them along, to join in the dance and the celebration as we seek to be your people in a hurting world. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.